welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 280. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Here we are, Bill. Yeah. Welcome, everybody, on this, well, it's kind of overcast, rainy day here in uh, suburban Philadelphia, very appropriate October day. Yesterday was gorgeous. It was gorgeous yesterday. You played golf yesterday. It was. I played yeah. a great little course. Uh, one of the guys I was playing with sunk like a 100-foot putt for birdie. Wow. 90 feet, 90 feet maybe, uphill. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. That is pretty impressive. Yeah, it was very, uh, it was a fun day. Good. Uh, yeah. So what's going on with you, you know, in the world today? We've got, uh, did you catch uh, Mick Mulvaney on Fox News Sunday? <laughs> I, I did. It's not a good day. Or Pompeo, he was on uh, ABC. Yeah. Not a good day for all the president's men. It was pretty, pretty rough. No, no. It was pretty rough. <laughs> you know, it was great because at one point, like, uh, Chris Wallace just goes, okay. Let's just talk about Syria then. <laughs> As if that was like better news. You know? Yeah. No, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. America is Babylon. I feel like. Jeffrey, you've been gone for a while. Jeffrey Siegfried says America's Babylon. I feel like that might be an insult to some Babylonians. <laughs> like so. some of the better years in the Babylonian Empire. Yeah, like, hey, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, hey yeah. you know, we didn't, you know, I'm sure the Kurds might be like, hey, we might have done better under the Babylonians. Yeah, they, well, they did do better, I think, under yeah. the Babylonians. <laughs> yeah. So, but thank you for that uh, apocalyptic insight. Yeah, we like that. It's, it's yeah. Good to see you back. And, you know, we're glad that you're back in the saddle again. <laughs> yeah, we got, but there's big Babylonians like, I didn't say that. Like, I didn't, well, here's the tape. No, this is what you're doing. The media is misconstrued. But you said this. No, that's not what I meant. Even Hannity said. Um, even Hannity said that it was a, a mistake that what he did. Well, so if Hannity, if Hannity says it was a problem, yeah, you're in trouble. I've, and also, you know, I think during the ABC one with Pompeo, he uh, um, Stefanov said, "Well, if Mulvaney said this," and <laughs> and Pompeo goes, "Well, I'm not going to deal with speculation." But uh, and then uh, how did it go? Stefanovic said, "No, no, but he did. He did. He did say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did say it. He said it. He says, you said if I'm not going to, I'm not going to be engaged in speculation. So, yeah, yeah. Well, not everybody can be as articulate as, as Rudy. <laughs> well, I think there are some people though that have the. I think like Kellyanne Conway has it. Like Sarah Huckabee Sanders has it. They they can sort of sit, spin that alternative reality and not." They're much more blink and I, and they kind of they're confident about it. And Mulvaney, I mean, he, he gave it his best try, but he's no Kellyanne. So you're saying they're better at lying, or they're uh, better at alternative facts. Uh, you know, alternative facts. Yeah, yeah, very nice. All right, I think so. Anyway, yeah. So. No, anyway. Well, yeah. It was uh, well. That was uh, Nicole Wallace said that yesterday. Yeah. He said he she gave them better better points at. Uh, being working on their feet. <laughs> I still like my favorite thing right now, though, is when Trump does the oh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, the great lovers. Oh, that's oh cool. I love you, Lisa. Oh, I love you, Peter. Yeah, We're yeah. gonna get that son of a bitch out of office. Yeah. I kind of like when he does that. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't. It's like that. it's like a it's like a combination of uh, WWE wrestling and bad dinner theater. Yeah, it's no. great. I wonder, you know, drunk history. What would be interesting in drunk history would just have different. Noble presidents from the past reading Trump lines. They would yeah, be, I'd be into that. 
Yeah. Could you imagine John Quincy Adams saying that? <laughs> <laughs> that would be the episode I would plug in. Do you think if you could put the founding fathers in now, they they won't they they won't let they'd be like, okay, maybe we should have gone with a parliamentary system. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe King George Washington the first would have exactly been, uh, wasn't yeah. a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah. who knows? Yeah, it's no, it's funny. Yeah. So, anything else going on in the world that we should comment on? Well, again, the, the disaster in Syria continues to be. Bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and people, you know, the, the Kurds are protecting Christians in Syria, the small group left there, and so that's bad situation. Yeah, very bad situation. Yeah, the Kurds. Yeah. Anyway, so and there may be potential use of chemical weapons going on there. So and and uh, a lot of bad stuff happening. You know? Tulsi Gabbard is accused of being a Russian asset by Hillary Clinton. Hillary is so interesting. Like it's you know, hey, yeah. let me let me just get in the mix and, and yeah, probably help Tulsi's poll numbers. Oh yeah, no, she that was definitely a help. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, gosh, she just can't help but keep serving America. <laughs> <laughs> I, she, retire, like, just retire. Yeah, she's terrible at politics. Retire, and that no doesn't way. mean she's not a good public servant. It's just some people are just not good at politics, right. and and she's not good. Right? No, she's not. So no. she's a third-rate politician, <laughs> and he should know. He yeah, should yeah. I mean, he's like, what? What rate is? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really. I'm not an expert enough to grade them. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know, right. that's and Megan Kelly made a return. To Fox News on Tucker Carlson's yeah, Carl, Carl, show, too. It's so great. You know, like, she was going to, like, jump on that NBC with a vengeance. Yeah. No, no, she'll she'll, she'll try to. She's uh, certainly not above that. You know how you know you're a racist? You made a racist statement anyway. Not that you're racist, but, like, when she made the blackface comments. And they even had Al Roker come on MSNBC and say, I'm offended. Al Roker, when does Al Roker say he's offended by anything? That's his job. Right. Oh, I guess it is kind of offensive. Like, all right, we got to get rid of her. We're getting Al Roker yeah, out. If you, if... Activist Al Roker. <laughs> <laughs> the impassioned activist Al Roker is going to come out. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Al Roker, one of my favorite. I mean, I love when they make the weathermen go out into the floods to tell us that it's flooding. You know, yeah. I, 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 I always. Uh, that's I appreciate that. They do, they do that here in, in Philadelphia when it's snowing. They send the local sports uh, weather people out there and say it's snowing, and, and then they get the close up when they go down and pick up the snow and show it to us. I like that. Yeah, it's uh, the yeah. best thing Nutter ever did. Mayor Nutter was like every blizzard he would because you know how Ed Rendell. I remember seeing Rendell one time out there. If we didn't plow your street last year, we're not plowing it this year. People <laughs> are just like it's just such an f you to the system. Nutter would get out on like Rittenhouse Square and her park is standing there getting snow and you're like, wow, he's out with the people. Like that's yeah. the best. Or Cory Booker when you run around and deliver diapers and stuff. If there's a snowstorm, get out there. Uh, I tell you, the city's awful when it snows. It's rough. It is rough. Don't you think any mayor, it's just like potholes and like and snow removal. Like if you can do that and stay out of scandal, like you'll be beloved. Yeah, probably not. It's probably not a huge issue in Miami. Well, you're right. Right. <laughs> that is the it's just about, yeah. Yeah, I think it, and, the mayor of, and the mayor of Los Angeles has some, some different challenges. But here in the Northeast or in the Midwest, that might be. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking about heresy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We've been, one of know, our, we love talking about it. We love it. And, you know, one we've of our fans. We've been accused of it. <laughs> we've been accused of it. One of our fans, you know, kept us cheering us on. That kid, some kid from Patheos. Some kid from Patheos. Yeah, yeah. I never remember his name, but some some kid from out there. He's in Michigan now. So today we're going to talk about Gnosticism, which in and of itself, it's uh, uh, this is always one of the more difficult lectures I would have to give in church history because it's such a complicated system, and uh, to, and 
you know, having, I used to have uh, students, MDiv students read the original sources for years for that. Uh, but it, it, they just got lost in the trees. It was hard to do that. I mean, I'm, to be honest with you, I mean, I had to read them. I read them during uh, my doctoral studies. And I, I confess I didn't go reread them for uh, this podcast, but uh it is a, it is well, a, well, then we're shutting it down. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Yeah. You heard the confession. It's over. No, I just couldn't, I just couldn't locate my Nag Karate on my shelf. But, uh, but it is a complex system. So I and, think, and is it fair to say, like, it's hard to see, like, there's still scholarly debate on how much does it predate Christianity? How much does Christianity, do they come up at the same time? Does Christianity put, provide fertile soil for the development of it. I mean, it's still yeah, ambiguous. It's, it's, the yeah, dating and all this stuff is ambiguous. Yeah. I think to speak broadly about it, uh, Gnostic, Gnostic text, the Gnostic texts are from second century. Well, they didn't have phones then. Okay. They weren't <laughs> texting. So, so, and the most famous discovery is the Nag Hammurabi discovery that happened, um, after world war two. Um, so we had some of these original texts that were, were discovered. I mean, in the past we had, uh, we could recreate some of them through, uh, the various Christian critics, but as Paul, as uh, yeah, Paul, yeah, as the Apostle Scott has said, uh, yeah, um, there, you know, to speak broadly about them is, is a, it was a movement um, that uh, kind of arose in the second century. Though you, uh, you know, you New Testament scholars, we we can see some proto Gnostic uh, problems in you know what Colossians may be about Jude, Second uh, Timothy. Uh, maybe even in the Corinthian correspondence, the denial of the resurrection may be a proto-Gnostic thing. But anyway, this was a broad movement. Uh, certainly, a lot of it seemed to have Jewish uh, and Christian antecedents. Um, matter of fact, you may have walked into a Gnostic congregation in the second century and you know felt you were in a Christian congregation because many of them self-identified as that. The Valentinians certainly did. Um, but it's probably best to think about it as it kind of some of its broad categories. It, 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 so whether it's origin, you know, there's some people argue that there seems to be interaction with Indian mysticism, um, Buddhism. I mean, th- we, we tend to forget if we don't, you know, if you don't know the history, how much cross pollination, how much movement back and forth there was. So some of the more famous um, uh, works are people, Valentinius and the Valentinians Gnostics. That seems, that was Irenaeus's great uh, opponent, um, uh, the Gospel of Thomas, which uh, a lot of people say is Gnostic. I personally think it's kind of one of those in-between Gospels. I think uh, it's – if you read some of the full blood, like the, you know, the Gospel of Philip, um, some of the other uh, – the Gospel of Truth in the, in the Gnostic text, they're, they're very different than the Gospel of Thomas. I think one could argue that, um, that the Gospel of Thomas has a, has a first-century rooting in it. Uh, it's hearing on a tradition. And uh, though uh, Lane Pagels wrote a book that compared the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of John, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not totally convinced that the Gospel of Thomas is a fully Gnostic book. But you may be more familiar with a latter movement that was a Gnostic movement, the Manichaeans. Um, the uh, or the Augustine was a reader um, or a hearer. No, he was a hearer of in the in the uh, Manichaean faith, which was a full blown Gnostic dualistic uh, tradition that had. Churches that existed well into the sixth uh, and eighth century, uh, particularly some, some of them went east and stayed there. There's still a Gnostic group, uh, though they're in a really bad part of the world, uh, in the corner of Iran and uh, Iraq and part of Syria, and um, the Mandians that uh, 
go back to maybe this time period. Um, so it was a widespread, diverse movement um, that was in many ways seen as a rival threat to the great church in the second century. And a lot of some of the early uh, establishment of the canon, um, holding on to the rule of faith, the role of uh, the bishop, the monarchy and bishop, all that are probably responses in part to the rise of Gnosticism. So can I, this is a, I'm going to read from a piece in the Washington Post by, from, written in 1979. From Harold Bloom. Oh, Harold Bloom. Now, yeah, who was, who was an American Gnostic? Well, put it, yeah, an American Gnostic who who wrote kind of scholarly stuff. Yeah, uh, kind of. Yeah, but he said he says the basic tenets of Gnosticism have not lost their shock value, their pride of unprecedentedness, even now in our skeptical era. Yet Gnosticism remains uncanny in that the shock of its concepts wear off, leaving many of us wondering if Gnosticism is not, after all, our own religion whether we know it or not. And yet knowing is the essence of Gnosticism, whose name derives from the Greek word gnosis, signifying knowledge is an experiential and intuitive sense. The Gnostic is a person who knows that what is oldest and most authentic in him is neither his body nor his soul, but rather is an inmost self, the pneuma or breath, which is also a spark of the fire of an alien true God, alien both to this cosmos and to the human body and soul alike. Through no fault of his own, the Gnostic finds himself solitary in a cosmic dungeon, our galaxy, cut off from salvation by the true God who has not made this world, has not made man's soul, has not even made the pneuma or man's true self, because this is co-eternal with him. Yeah. I mean, I think he does touch on some of the, the broad characteristics. I mean, it was a a salvation based on... Um, an inner knowledge, a special knowledge, a secret knowledge. He know? calls it an elitist religion of despair because it holds out no hope for the natural man or woman, but only an ultimate hope for the spark we continue to carry. Yeah, and I don't think uh, you don't read despair in the Gnostics. Actually, they they uh, now again they did the, the this world was a mistake, it was a falling away. But that's one of the reasons you know <clears throat> Plotinus, the father of Neoplatonism, condemned Gnosticism and the Neoplatonist. Uh, were very critical of the Gnostic uh, idea that the, the the world is the material world is all bad. Um, the idea that you know the terms of now it's interesting what does this get picked up or not, but that the distinction between spirit and flesh is a big one that's made uh, in the Gnostic text. That's that's why uh, Paul got you know the interpretation of Paul was was a bit of a problem. In the second, third century, because there are, you know, Paul uses that kind of dualism as well in his language. Now, couldn't you say that, that it's interesting? You can make an interesting parallel with what Machen sees in in the early twentieth century when he writes his book Christianity and Liberalism, where his argument was that, you know, he he self styled himself as as a harbinger of orthodoxy as opposed to and a defender of it as opposed to the sort of progressive mainline Presbyterians that he was in the denomination with at the time. And he said, the thing is that we use the same uh, grammar, but use it different to mean different things, or the same yeah. vocabulary to mean different things. So if I handed you my, my Uniball Vision pen from this desk and said, here, Bill, can you, can you hold my machine gun? You'd say, wait, I know what a machine gun is. I know what this pen is. And I don't think we're using the sentences right. the same way. And he would say the same thing. Like when the Orthodox say incarnation, we mean one thing and, and, and his progressive opponents he thought meant another and this is the challenge he thought because we sounds like we're saying the same thing couldn't you say in gnosticism so much of the 
language. Ever, they've, there's a fall in, in Gnostic right, thought, and right. there's a fall in biblical thought. But it's not from sort of, you know, uh, a, it's not a fall into sin and go, living life east of Eden. It's a fall. It's an original fall into the material world. Yeah. It's not kind of, I mean. It's not a moral failure. Right. Yeah. And, and you a, could yeah. even, even in this idea of like when Jesus talks about the inner man, or when Jesus says, you know, our problem isn't it's what defiles you, isn't what comes out of, it goes into you, but what comes out of you from the heart and these things. So, and you know, the interior, this idea that we have a, a, a body and a soul and there's, a duality in us, right. all this stuff that you can find in biblical ground, uh, grounds, it, you, it's like two movements that share a lot of vocabulary but use them very differently. Right, and that's why there was kind of a continuum. I think to think of, uh, you know, when I used to teach this, I would put a continuum up of, you know, the Gospel of John and um, Paul and Valentinians, you know, and they're kind, of, they're kind of close to each other. Or the Gospel of Thomas, I would put there right on the border. So, yeah, it's it's... It's and you know the interesting thing about the mythology in Gnosticism, it is really a brilliant externalization of of an of an internal psychology. Um, you know that we are kind of uh, a polarity of opposites. You know, that, and, and they do this wonderful kind of of uh, of that in their work. I think the other thing about it is this idea that you know that salvation is something that doesn't ultimately happen exterior to us. But it's something within, and this being in touch with the God within, so, you know, there's a reason why a lot of New Age and, and a lot of self help really borderlines in, in in really Gnostic phraseology, and I think that's why, you know, in many ways, uh, did Gnosticism ever fully go away? I don't, I don't think so, but it has. It's a very fruitful kind of salvation system. Uh, alive and well in our our current day. Now, again, it, it's funny. I did. I ran into a New Age mystic. Uh, in, in Midland, Texas, right after seminary, and that's uh, the hotbed. I've always heard that the hotbed of New Age mysticism is Midland, Texas. Well, this one when you really when you go to make a pilgrimage anymore, it's not California, it's not to the where the Maharaja. It's right to Midland, Texas, where they're all going these days. Well, this this woman was a uh, had was would believe that she'd been set apart to go start the New Age in Abilene, Texas, and I said to her, I said, "Do you know anything about Abilene?" She goes, no. I go, I, I really listen to the voices because I don't, I don't, I'm not sure your message is going to be received well at Aveline. But what was interesting, she'd run out of gas. So I, I, I helped, uh, I helped her get some gas. And, uh, and so I got my, you know, she blessed me. My aura was obviously in good shape because I helped her with her gas. I've always thought about that, yeah. about your aura. I've said that many times. Bill, <laughs> you know, he's got a great, this is how I tell the, I tell the Zwingli and Taliban that about it all the yeah. time. They like, hey, go easy on Billy. He's got a great aura. He's got a great aura. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. 
Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butran, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedi, and Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. Anyway, she started quoting me what she believed, and and she was quoting me different, you know, Gnostic texts, and I just, you know, gotten out of seminary, so those were more fresh in my mind, and uh, it's really interesting. So there is this kind of there is a connection with some of these folks to the to the ancient text, um, but there's a lot of of what's out there that would come under the rubric of modern Gnostic, but it's kind of just it's in the water. It's not something and in the air of the 21st century. It's not that there's this unbroken. Tradition, though, you know, one could argue some of the Masonic, some of the Masons are very Gnostic in their beliefs, and there's all kinds of connections that they... Strange in their fashion sense. Yeah, very strange. If if I'm going to have a, be in a secret society, I want to be in one that dresses more like the imperial forces in Star Wars. Yeah, but the the Rosicarianism, you know, there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole line that, uh, in the Masonic Lodge that they have some very Gnostic ideas. And anywhere you have kind of a self-salvation, in other words, where there's a sense where, Part of your getting free from whatever you need to get free of is based on um, an inner recognition, uh, an enlightenment, um, a secret insight, a, a connection with the divine. That's all kinds of Gnostic views of salvation. And, and uh, Chris, I just uh, I just gave you bylines from probably half the bestsellers in the New York Times booklet. Marianne Williamson. Well, and again, how much of you know when you emphasize a you know a personal relationship with Jesus, you know, um, my own personal Jesus kind of thing. Well, that, and I think that's borderlines. Yeah, the well, because yeah. it's immediate, and I mean that yeah. in, in the sense of the technical sense, unmediated. So, right. so which you know, it's, nothing's unmediated, right? Like the, even the way the gospel comes to us, it comes to ourselves through our our. Right. We, right. It comes through our auditory, you know, our ear canals, and with our interacts with our nerve endings, like it. The way we become Christians is interacting with physicality, right? right I mean, right. We're, we're Gnosticism can't really account for stuff like that, right? I mean, it's not it's not really built into the system. Um, the other thing I think that well, yeah, that's what, so. I think anytime you, for instance, wherever sacraments are not important, you're probably somewhat in the realm of 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 Gnostic uh, understanding. Well, that's the entire. Amer- so basically, most American churches. If you're in an American church, <laughs> well, yeah, it comes from a different source, but it, but I think, um, yeah, there, there's, you know, it, the the anti-sacramental movements within Protestantism created this huge vacuum. So, what steps into that vacuum? Experientialism, um, uh, praise courses that go on and on and on. Uh, the charismatic movement, you know, kind of an immediacy of experience. And wait, who's the medieval commentator in the book of Revelation? Joachim. Um, oh, F- uh, Fior. Fior, right. And for him, you have the father's the age of mm-hmm. law, the God, the son is the age of grace, and they'll come this third age, the, yeah. the age of spirit, where there'll be no institutions, everything will be immediate. And you see, and that's like late, you know, we're in the, in the Middle Ages, so this is not it's something that, and I heard, I heard, just heard this recently, Menno Simons didn't believe Jesus had a physical body. Yeah. That's 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a good yeah. thing we got Neo in about this now. <laughs> to fix that, yeah. Yeah, because you know, this is it's, it's interesting because there's something about this that comes up perennially. Like yeah, and and, yeah. and sometimes it comes in psychologized forms because the metaphysics aren't as attractive, but you can kind of you, you see how it how this I wonder how much of the intrinsic draw to this is like hating limitation, right? So like yeah. we are made God is made see you know, if the one thing you can tell about the world by looking around at it, is that God seems to like diversity, finitude, and fragility. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and it's the fact that we're circumscribed and like sacks of water, you know, sacks of liquid and cells, yeah. and that we're so fragile. And and so the Gnostic kind of you know promise is a world that that's where finitude and fragility are not around every corner. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and where you can then and seeing that as liberation. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, Gnosticism can have different kind of tendencies. It can have a hypermoralism. Some of them, you know, you know, abstain from meat, uh, abstain from wine, abstain sexually. Um, and that's kind of one form of the Gnosticism. And you, and you stop and think about sometimes what what are the big taboos? When I grew up in fundamental circles, well, the big taboos, you don't drink. You know, some of you don't drink, drink smoke, or chew, or go with girls to do. Yeah, that's right. Or, you know. Or you, guys. And that, you know, the fact that for. How a, many people drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls to do? How many girls chew? I mean, they, come on. It depends what part of the country. The country <laughs> Midland, Texas. Maybe that's where she was going to Abilene to save people. Yeah. But, you know, for instance, when. When a lot of evangelicals, if you say, okay, that was sinful or what that, you know, they're engaged in sinful behavior, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Sex. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, I think, a Gnostic holdover. But then you also have libertine versions, right? Exactly. Where, 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 yeah. where, well, because the body's not important, you can do whatever you want with it because it doesn't really register on the real spiritual. Right. For instance, so you can back a president who embodies everything that's antichrist and say, hey, you know, that's okay because, you know, this is the ends justify the means. So that's part Gnosticism of Gnosticism sounds. Let's make Gnosticism great again. What's the? Uh, I, have you watched the thing on HBO about the family? I haven't, but I heard it's fantastic. Yeah, all right. If you want that, there's living Gnosticism every week on that show. The oh, I guess I can't even think of the name. It's about a kind of a a gospel family empire. Yeah, I, I can't think of it. But uh, I, see, that's I watch it and I don't really remember. And don't it. you think? Don't great, you th- some really interesting acting. Don't you think? Like in like the Dallas Seminary movement, a lot of evangelicalism that holds to the tripartite body, soul, and spirit, where the spirit becomes the highest part. Yeah, so like that's, yeah. so the spirit's high and it's almost, it's untouched, right? Kind of, it's not touched by the fall as in the same way. And the soul is kind of gritty and the body's the worst. I mean, you see Gnosticism there. Well and actually it's interesting you say that because one of the formative books of the charismatic movement was Dennis Bennett, an Episcopal priest, who wrote the Trinity of the Soul. There you go. So there's a sense and also it's often if you're around a group that doesn't where the resurrection of the body is not important. That's another sign. That you're, like, so said, if your church isn't really into sacraments and doesn't talk that much about the resurrection of the body, it's like, all right, so the other 20% of the American church is, <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So if you need, you can come to Scott or my church. Exactly. No, not, but, it but might not be, we're going to have smoke machines or other exciting things, but it will not be Gnostic. Well, one of the interesting things I think is, you know, and there's there are certain reactions to the evangelical Gnosticism. So for instance, high church evangelicals, which are an interesting grouping of themselves. Or some went ahead and went ahead and crossed the Tiber. Or some went ahead and, and aligned with you know, Constantinople. It doesn't exist anymore. But nonetheless, you know, so what's all this about? Or you've got these various groups that are 
that are kind of acting like they're you know they're they're acting like second century churches, which is okay. Second century is fine, but you know they've got they've kind of making up their own apostolic history as they go along. And some of these are very conservative folks. I mean, some of them are. You know, friends of the show. Uh, yeah, we have many friends. Yeah, so, we, have show, we have friends in all corners well, of Christendom. Of but that, I think that impulse is... Fitch, apologies for St. Christendom. All right. But those those are all impulses to try to get away from this Gnosticism. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, we all kind of... Um, many of us who grew up in evangelical Protestant circles, of course. And so we've given you some examples of some conservative versions of them. But one could say that, you know, a lot of liberal Christianity is just, you know, has... Gnostic or something else. I mean, it's it's uh, it's disembodied spirituality for sure. Well, yeah, and her, by, by emphasizing and sometimes overly embodied, and therefore nothing's transcendent as well. So. Yeah, and Harold Bloom would talk about like the, how like, certain Freudian Jungian psychology appropriated in, in, in conservative Christian circles. It becomes a, a form of Gnosticism. I mean, it, it, this like the Enneagram. Well, not like the Enneagram. <laughs> the Enneagram's different. Don't say the Enneagram. Uh, how come the Enneagram's different? Because I say it is. <laughs> Because it is. Because <laughs> it is. Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> certainly, certainly it has no Yugi and Gnostic no, no, background. No, no astrological imagery no, at all. No, no. <laughs> 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 All right, thanks for watching. There, there we go. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, <laughs> it's not. That's the example. Ex cathedra, you're sitting that, on the bench. That's the example of an assertion, not an argument. AKA <laughs> <laughs> David Bentley Hart. <laughs> that's, see, that's if you want to learn this rhetorical style of uh, David Bentley Hart, that's it. Assertion more than argumentation. <laughs> I just followed it. You assert. Now, uh, okay. Now, uh, this may be something we we don't totally agree on, but I do think uh, uh, the book that you're reading, we're actually going to have him on the show, points out some points that maybe some of the over-Platonic influence in Christianity and the Augustinian tradition, which he sees as Luther correcting, has, I mean, again, I think if you really want to be precise, the Neoplatonists were anti-Gnostic and for some very good reasons, and they wrote treatises uh, against it. But... Um, one can see some Gnosticizing tendencies in, in Platonic Christianity. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Phil thinks, Phil Carey, in, Phil Carey in the meaning of Protestantism, yeah. Yeah, he thinks that Platonism was pretty helpful on thinking about the non-spirituality of God and the relationship of Christ to the Father. So in, like, it's technically in his theology, it's very helpful. See, see, it's metaphysics, especially around certain concepts around non-physicality. How do you go? Because he, he talks about how certain... Pre-Socratics thought of spiritual beings as fire, air. No, no, right. we're not talking about Well, Tertullian is right. a materialistic view of the Trinity. Yeah, yeah and so yeah. he says that was very helpful to the Church Fathers. He says the ethics of Platonism, less so, and the epistemology, even less so. Right. So, yeah. the, so the way the ethics and the epistemology, you know, how you live and how you come to know the truth, he thinks— Actually, he thinks on the on the sort of meta of what non physicality means and how you figure that stuff out is incredibly helpful. Right. But when the some of the ethics and then especially. The epistemology gets imported. How you know things? So, it, so the metaphor. Jesus doesn't come down uh, so much as he. Jesus doesn't come down to save us as much as he points us the way out of the cave. It, right. it, and and that I mean that kind of. And again, to say Platonism is Gnosticism is not true. I mean, that's, they're different kind of systems. But yeah. there is a kind of when you wholesale critically import platonism in an unfiltered way it does take you down and not it can take you down a gnostic direction. yeah i mean i think so for instance i think the idea that you should know the truth and the truth will set you free uh there is a gnosis in in christianity i mean part of our salvation is a kind of knowing but 
But it's not a secret knowing, and it's, it's a knowing. Right. That's what it's I'm a knowing. It's it's a knowing of the mighty acts of God for us in the world, not sort of a secret right. path. No, you didn't. It it is a public revelation, yeah, a revel, revelatory moment in Christ. So it's not a. I mean, what's hidden? In Can that, you find this in Kenneth Copeland? There's a special revelation yeah. in truth with a cap that's really for. A certain spiritual. I mean, you could. It's so interesting because you can find this all over the American church. If you, if yeah, I mean, you could do it a Texan. I'm sure tons have been done it, but it's it's interesting how you could. It's alive and well. I remember when I was young life area director and was involved in this church, and the church was going through about to go through a split, and one of the leaders of the split came up to me. And I said, "Well, I said, why are you doing this?" Because goes, "God told me to." I go, "No, He didn't." <laughs> I just said, there's my assertion. Exactly. I go, I go, well, what did, I said, what did he sound like? Did he have a Jewish accent? Did he sound like, uh, uh, what did he sound like? And he goes, well, he, you know, it was in my own voice. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> now, if he had said James Earl Jones, maybe. Maybe, maybe. But no, the idea, so there's a sense where I think there is a, in the New Testament, this idea, certain things had been hidden, right? But now the whole point of the New Testament is they've been revealed to the yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. So there's a sense where... And, you know, the growing in self-knowledge. And even the hiddenness there was the meaning of these historical events. Like the like when Paul talks about the the Jews and Gentiles, we've been one new humanity in Ephesians. It's, the hiddenness is not another realm. It's it's God breaking, acting in new ways in this creation. Right, and, and that there's a continuity. God has always been revealing, you know, that's what's been involved. I think the other thing, too, is it's, you know, I think the great contribution of the Eastern Church or to remind us is this idea that, you know, we really, we believe that you're baptized, that we are in Christ, that therefore we are in the presence of the, we are in, you know, we're in the Trinity in that way, that the Holy Spirit actually is given to every believer. But when God comes into a human being, he's not bumping into something that's already there. Yeah, <laughs> in other, yeah, in other yeah. words, so there's a sense where the, the um, particularly Irenaeus, we're not rediscovering the divinity within us. Uh, we are being brought into immortality because of the incarnation and Christ being, yeah, our we're going f- fully humanized. Yeah, right. So there's a sense where there, it, Christianity is best. I think uh, really emphasizes both uh, our full. You know, I always say Jesus came to reveal us who God is and who humanity is at yeah. the same time, and our destiny is both those things: to be fully human and to be fully incorporated into the the, the divinity. And so I, I don't. I'm not as concerned about some of the mystic. You know, I, I think Christ, the Christian mystic spirituality tradition. Is greatly benefited um, from from you know its Greek background, but um, you know there's always these there's there's guardrails all the time, and you could argue you know he says Luther as a corrective of Augustine. I would say Aquinas is an earlier corrective. Right. Oh, Augustine. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he would yeah. argue that. Yeah. There's a kind of you know the other thing too. Like, and I'll try to find this for the show notes, but Frederica Matthews Green. You know, who's Eastern Orthodox, right. con- a convert to Eastern Orthodox, I think, from evangelicalism. She wrote a piece in Christianity Today years ago about the Matrix and how Gnostic it was. And it was the silliest piece I'd ever read because what's funny about the movie The Matrix is she thought, like, by, by, by when people get delivered out of the Matrix, this world is gritty and dark. No, no, no. The Matrix was the Gnostic world that people were actually imprisoned in. Right. And they convinced people that actually. That's not the real world, and and that that's and, and actually salvation is being in the real physical world, not in this computer generated perfect kind of right. world. And so it's so funny. I was like, no, you read the movie the opposite way of how right. it should be read, right? Like, right. well, it's like in the last C.S. Lewis' The Last Battle. You know, the dwarfs are you know sitting on the ground. They think they're in the stable, and they're in you know they're in this outskirts of heaven. 
and the children say, hey, try this food, and it tastes like, you know, it tastes like dung to them. So it's, you know, you can be, there's a, still this idea that we can be imprisoned in our own perspectives. Um, but the source of our, uh, of our being liberated from the, the realm of darkness is uh, to be, to say yes to the one who entered into the darkness. For yeah. Us. yeah, yeah, the light yeah. Come, breaks in and comes down. Yep. Thanks. So yeah. thank you all for listening. Thank you. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless. <laughs>